for everything indie. For everything indie. For everything cults. It's the Blue Horseshoe now. Here's your host, George Bremer and Ryan Hickey. As always, download, like, and subscribe to the Blue Horseshoe Pod. And make sure you tell a friend. Let them know that we're around here talking a little Colts football. And if you enjoy it, I'm sure they will enjoy it as well. So, George, one of the things that I really liked on Sunday, that I hope the Colts do more now moving forward, especially when you have Sam Ellinger at quarterback, who, who's more mobile uh, than Matt Ryan, because I love when they have Naeem Hines, Jonathan Taylor, and now Sam Ellinger on the field at the same time, whether it's both of them in the backfield, whether it's Hines in the slot. Like, some of the best Colts plays and some of the biggest plays, the only touchdown they got was when they are both on the field at the same time. That feels like a recipe that, is, that has worked so far, and especially, again, when you're trying to wean Sam Ellinger along and kind of, you know, have him take baby steps, we'll say, throughout the season. But that's a great way right now for him to kind of continue development. I think it's something that the, the defenses have to worry about a lot. And the short simples, as you saw, at least on Sunday, it worked more times than not. Yeah, well, I think, you know, the, the Hines situation is probably the one of the more frustrating things that, that's happened this year. I mean, all we heard all spring and all summer was, you know, he's going to be such a huge part of this offense. I think Frank Reich even said if he had a fantasy team, he would he would make sure that he drafted Naeem Hines. And, you know, today, even a day that he got a touchdown and, and it felt like he was more a part of things than he has been in most weeks, it's still seven touches and, and 49 total yards. So, um, you know, you got to find a way to get him more involved, whatever that takes. And, and that a lot of that means being on the field with with Jonathan Taylor so that you're not just coming in a few times to spell him, you know, get him out there together. Um, I, I think, you know, the, the, the RPO works really well on its own, but I think there's a lot you can do play action wise. There's a lot you can do from an option type of standpoint when you've got both those guys out there and, and then Ellinger's threat to run as well. So um, absolutely. I mean, guys, when, when you're talking about underutilized guys on this team and ways to make things change so that this offense changes, I feel like Naeem Hines' name has to be near the top of the list. And especially for a guy who is creative in Frank Reich and does, you know, bring new wrinkles to this offense all the time, it's like that's that's a wrinkle that I feel like you should be using more because it's worked. We saw it on Sunday where he had, you know, Hines and Taylor in the backfield together as the Wildcat. You fake the pitch of Sam Ellinger and you get a nice gain on it. It's like now, especially when you have a, a mobile core like Sam Ellinger, you can, like, have more fun. You can kind of use it to your advantage and keep defenses, all you know, off guard. Um, so I just hope that was one thing that at least that kind of stuck out to me, um, on Sunday. I hope to see more, but it was also too, on the other side, George, a little bit surprising. I guess we did not see more RPOs than, than we actually did. Like it was being talked about. I thought it was kind of, you know, be more of a thing and it really didn't feel like they, they kind of used it that much whatsoever on Sunday. Yeah, it'll be interesting. And they, they ran a couple of the, after 27 yard run was, was definitely one, uh, that, that they were able to bust. Um, you know, I, I saw a couple other times during the game that they got stuffed. They started the game early with a bunch of rollouts and they went away from that. And really, I, I think the first possession they did it and I'm not sure they did it. I can't right off the top of my head, recall one after that, but I think they, Washington started to sniff that out a little bit. They got pressure on, on like the second series when, when they tried to do that. I think that was part of probably what was driving that for the Colts. But I think the RPO is going to be a bigger thing moving forward, I would expect. I, th- I thought we'd see more of it today, too. Uh, but again, I don't know that – look, if the offensive line is going to go out there and, and, and play the way they have, I don't know what difference it makes. You look at the, the end of the day today, 4.7 yards per carry and just two sacks, they're moving forward. That's right. the important thing. They, they made – but again, what we're talking about here is situational football. That's what's killing the Colts. You look at the raw numbers today. Okay, they went, you know, 4.7 yards per carry, two sacks. That's that's probably the best game they played as far as balancing both of those 
areas, run blocking and pass protection. Uh, and no doubt Sam Ellinger's mobility played into both of those factors. But again, you don't finish in the red zone. And a lot of that had to do with the line. I mean, that third and one, you have got to get that. And you mm -hmm. have to give your head coach enough faith that on fourth and inches, he can go behind you and you can get that there uh, and, and maybe run out the clock on this game. Or at least, you know, there were only 22 seconds left when when Washington scored the, the game winning touchdown. So not like they had to take a lot more time off the clock to get where they needed to be. Um, and, but again, it comes down to what we we're talking about earlier. Yeah, you know, I keep hammering the offensive line because that's where my head is and that's where I think the biggest issue is with this team. But the fact of the matter is, whoever is is at fault, the Colts aren't making plays in big moments. The the commanders are. We talked about it earlier, but one play we didn't mention, that game-winning drive, there's a fourth and one at the 20, and it looks like Taylor Heineke sacked for all purposes. Mm -hmm. He somehow gets out of there extends the play runs to the outside and makes a 12 yard pass that extends the drive. They make that play. They win the game. The Colts come up inches short on a third and five scramble and don't this. It's not, it's not a coincidence. You've got to be better at situational football. I think the offensive line plays into that a lot, but everybody on offense, they've got to be in and defense too. You've got to be better at situational football. And it's, like the turnovers obviously are killer, right? George, like Stephen Holt had a great tweet and it just, I mean, it's perfect for sums up the season. The Colts are 4 and one this season when they lose the turnover battle three, and zero when the turnover battle is even, or they're positive and they're winning it. So it's very simple. Like you don't turn the ball over. You force other teams turnover. You're going to win more times than I, it's very easy to, to see that happen, but it's not just the fact that you have, you know, you were losing the turnover battle, George. Like you mentioned, it's also when you turn them over. Like both times you have Sam Ellinger fumble after what was arguably the best drive of the day so far. You fumble in the red zone. That kills all the momentum. Then you later on in the game, you have a beautiful pass out. Pierce, 47 yarder, biggest play of the season, passing wise. The crowd's into it. You're, you're starting to move the ball. Very next play, Jonathan Taylor fumbles, and it's like, well, there goes all the air to the balloon. So it's not just when you're, or, you know, that you're turning it over. It's also when you're turning it over at some awful times that just kill momentum. Like you said, also kill faith in Frank Reich in terms of thinking, oh, I can believe in these guys to make a play because anytime he tries to do that, outside of a few guys, someone else always manages to like to fumble it away or not come through their assignment and blow it up. And I think maybe the most frustrating thing about this offense right now is if you clean up that that situational football, you know, problems that, that, that are going on there, you've got a lot of good things going on in this passing game. Alec Pierce, you just mentioned him week after week. This kid gets better and better. I wasn't high on him coming out of the draft. I'll be honest. I thought he'd be OK, but I didn't think he'd have this kind of impact this quickly. And he has made himself, if not the number one guy, he's a strong number two to Michael Pittman. He makes a big play every week. He goes out there. He's shown he's physical. He can get it up there and, and get jump balls. That 47-yarder was a perfect play by both, both ends. You know, a great throw by Sam Ellinger. But they were at their own 19-yard line, their own 19-yard line when they make that play. It's a huge play. Like you said, a huge momentum play, and you fumble it away. Alec Pierce is, is, is growing up before our eyes. He deserves better than this. I think also Paris Campbell, who, who you know, Three times he touches the ball today, 71 yards. He's got a 28-yard reception or a 28-yard rush and a 38-yard reception. He's another guy that seems to get better and, and more reliable every week. It, it's it's a travesty that you've got these guys going out there and playing the way they are. If you had told me back in August that Paris was we're going to get this version of Paris Campbell and this version of Alec Pierce, 
I would think this team is five and two or I guess six and two or, or seven and one, you know, playing really good football and, and really looking good. Uh, but so many, so many other errors, you know, turnovers, sacks, holding, just clean up. And, and the thing about that is we, we said it all year long, you're eight weeks in and it hasn't happened. So uh, that's a frustrating thing. Clean up the things that you're, that, that, that you're not doing right. And there's so many other things to be excited about with this offense. And that's where it's almost like a blessing and a curse because you're. it's frustrating now in the moment, but it's like if you are at least already the mindset of whether it could be Sam Ellinger, the guy like, ooh, you, you, fingers crossed, George, whoever's starting week one for the Colts in 2023, presumably will at least, that that's the goal to be the guy for the next 10 years. So the good news is whether it is Sam Ellinger plays way into the job or whether they draft someone or trade for someone, whoever it is, you look at next year, 2023, like I said, the Colts have, especially the skill position, the pieces to have whatever quarterback they have next year to succeed. Like you mentioned, Michael Pittman Jr. has, for the most part, outside of his drop on the final uh, final drive of the game. Huge. Massive drop. Huge. Very un-Michael Pittman Jr.-like for sure. But he's been very solid. Taught, you know, Makes a ton of tough catches. Very reliable. Like you said, Alec Pierce, from where he started in week one, where he dropped a, a very easy touchdown pass, leaves the game early. It's seemingly lost all trust from Matt Ryan. And now he's, you know, routinely now the last few weeks, the second most targeted receiver on this team outside of Michael Pittman Jr., whether it's Matt Ryan and now Sam Ellinger, you're starting to see them really develop and really trust Alec Pierce to make a play. Paris Campbell, I mean, I'd argue, George, he's so far through eight games been the offensive MVP. I mean, he's making big plays. He's, you know, especially, you know, he had a career day last week in Tennessee. He makes some big plays, relied upon a thick third down. He's, you know, a big target. Anytime he can, the ball is thrown his way, for the most part, he's getting that first down. You saw the speed, which is kind of nice. We haven't seen too many glimpses of but you get him in the open field like he did two times today. You see, this guy can fly. He can make plays. He can make people miss. It's like you are right. You have three receivers right now on top of Jonathan Taylor and Naeem Hines where you can have like five guys that are legitimate playmakers if you're getting the ball. Like that's, that's a quarterback stream. And it's a shame in one sense because, like you said, it's they're wasting it, frankly, this year with the offensive line play and just totally killing kind of any momentum on this offense and also self-inflicted wounds where they turn the ball over a ton after a lot of these players make some big-time plays. But it's also you hope at least or to look at it a positive going forward to kind of save yourself from the darkness. It is nice. Like, you know what? The Colts have a nice core here. Like they, Development, drafting, position. they have a nice core at, at skill position, absolutely. At scope position, absolutely. And, and, you know, talk about Paris Campbell, too. One thing that, that we haven't talked about, one of those hidden yardage plays, he drew a pass interference flag that set up the touchdown. The six-yard touchdown run for Naeem Hines came after he drew a pass interference flag of 30 yards. And that is one of the few times that they overcame some adversity. They got a holding penalty. They ended up in second and 22 at the 36 after that Shaq Leonard interception. And, you know, Paris Campbell draws that flag and and they're able to go in and, and find the end zone for the only time today. Uh, going back to that that Pittman drop, you know, I've been pretty hard on, on Sam as far as like not making that big play and not making that throw in the red zone. He did on that play. He made a beautiful throw. He threaded it right down the middle of the field and they were going to be at worst on the outskirts of a field goal range with a timeout still left in their pocket. If, if Michael Pittman holds on to that and he had some room to run, I, they may have been in field goal range when that was all said and done. If not, you were probably another completion or two away. You know, one of those jump balls to Alec Pierce away from maybe having Chase McLaughlin go out there and, and make a kick to win the game. That was a huge drop. And I do need to mention I, that was a big time throw by, by Sam Ellinger. 
You're right. It's good to see, but it, it just goes back to the frustration of just like you said, guy. It's like it's, like you said, it's situation football, and it's when the the plays or the mistakes are are being made, and we we can talk about again how impressive you know the the Colts' weapons are, and you know how they they are building a nice core. But then again, at the same time, what's so frustrating? We're sitting here talking about another sixteen point effort. We're talking about another situation where, like you said, they get in the in the red zone three times. We're talking about a team who. In the preseason, George, you're talking about this. The Colts were one of the worst teams in terms of red zone percentage last year at converting those red zone opportunities into touchdowns. We thought and hoped, okay, Matt Ryan at least will be, you know, a part to fix that and be kind of the guy with his good decision-making, his good accuracy to fix those problems. And again, you go one for three in the red zone again on Sunday. It's another situation where, again, you're settling for field goals more times than that. Chase McGoffin's leg is getting a workout for sure. Whether it was in Denver a few weeks ago, whether it was again on Sunday, it's – He's earning his money, George. That is, that's absolutely for sure. But it's just like, it's almost like for not like like all these guys are having solid years, all for nothing. Because whether it's not making the big play or not making the play you need at the end, you know, to to get a touchdown, they cannot get in the end zone on a consistent basis whatsoever. Yeah, and and we can't let the defense off the hook here because 16 points should have won the game today. It won't win very many in this league, but it should have won the game today. You they. They had to go 89 yards on that last drive with, I think, 247, somewhere in that range. Uh, it was less than that. It was 247 when the Colts punted it away. So, you know, there wasn't a lot of time left on the clock. The Colts have to find a way to get off the field there. I do want to say this, though. Terry McLaurin, Indianapolis Cathedral kid, uh, guy that the Colts passed on in the second round of that draft. They took Paris Campbell instead. 113 yards receiving today. That 33-yard catch, that's that's the kind of thing the Colts are not getting right now. That's what we're talking about. He went up. He took the ball away from an all-pro cornerback. It's Stephon Gilmore. I, I don't fault Gilmore much for that play at all. I think he was where he needed to be. He did just about everything you can realistically expect him to do on that play. And Terry McLaurin, like you said, just made a man's catch uh, and won that game for the for the commanders. I mean, he, he gets the game ball for sure on that side of the field. Um you know, you knew coming in, he would probably have a big game being home first time as a pro in his hometown. Um, but, you know, the Colts need guys to step up that way. We've been talking about everything they've got going their way on offense, and, and it's definitely there. But they need guys who are going to consistently step up in those big moments and, and either, you know, score or put them right on the cusp of, of getting those touchdowns, uh, because that's the difference in this game. It, it absolutely is. It is obviously because it's a game-winning score. Uh, but again, if the Colts in a couple opportunities similar to that earlier in the game, if they finish off the same way, they're the ones walking out of here with a victory. And that's a frustrating thing, George, to put a bow at least on this conversation before, like I said, we, we kind of dive into the defense a little bit more here. It's not like, because the Colts, like, when you look at so forth of the first eight games, like, again, they've been a, a very good fourth quarter team when it comes to point differential. They've been one of the best in the NFL. So they do make plays in for whatever reason, it takes the offense, especially three quarters to wake up the fourth quarter. That's when they've been at their best. Look at the Chiefs game. You have Jelani Woods and Matt Ryan stepping up to make some big plays to win that game. You have Alec Pierce catching the big touchdown pass against the Jaguars a few weeks ago. So like the Colts have made plays at times this season to step up, you know, in a big moment to, to win. But the frustrating part, George, is like when it's every single week, when it's every single week you need someone, you know, in crunch time to make a play, it's not going to happen every time. And now, like when you, like you mentioned, when you turn the ball over in the red zone, when you consistently set up for field goals and not touchdowns, you allow teams to stick around. Not the Colts have to win every game by 30, but God forbid, it's not the worst in the world for them to go up by 10. You know, when you're down every single halftime, when you're down going to the fourth quarter of every single game, like 
you are giving yourself no margin for error. So even if you make a play or two, well, you're still because you left the team around early and you could have put them away in the first half. Like you can win a game in the first half, George. You can win a game in the second quarter. Look at the Eagles. The Eagles are undefeated. They were one of the best second uh, quarter teams in all the NFL. You can win games early. The Colts, I've clearly this year have never won a game early. And like we mentioned, especially on Sunday, you kind of you it epitomizes this entire season. They had opportunities in the first half and really through the first three quarters to take a commanding lead, take control of the game, and put the commanders away. Go up two scores. Instead, you don't do so. You allow them to hang around, and the commanders made a play or two at the end to win the game. You don't have to have the game come down to one drive or one play every single game. You are allowed to win the game by double digits and put the game away early so you're not relying on whether it's your defense, your special teams, or your offense to come through again and have everything on their shoulders. Yep. I mean, one thing we knew, we we said it on the preview pod, this was going to be a one-score game. And, and neither now one of that. these teams has won a game yet this year without it being a one-score game. So it wasn't just a one-score game. It was a one-point game. Uh, but you know what? Hey, we're two and seven now, right, on our picks, counting That's the quarterback. True. So we, 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 we picked up one that wasn't the free spot. That is very, very, very true. When we do return here on the Blue Horseshoe Pod, we'll get into the defense. How much fault should there be for them, again, allowing the commanders to go down the field and eventually score with just 22 seconds left? And we'll also discuss the return of Shaq Leonard for really the first time this season and play the majority or a good amount of snaps considering that he left in the second quarter of the first game played against the Titans a few weeks ago. So nicely Shaq Leonard back. We'll get in his uh, impact as well when the Blue Horseshoe Pod returns. <laughs> 